This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich, and I'm here to tell you all about the interview you're about to hear, uh, which I did with Adam Sandler. Uh, You know who Adam Sandler is. Uh, But on this occasion, we were talking about his movie Hustle, which came out on Netflix earlier this year. I watched it as someone who doesn't know all that much about basketball, doesn't know that much about, you know, Adam Sandler movies, beyond that he's been very famous my whole life. Um, And I was just completely bowled over by it. It is a sports movie. Uh, Really, I've been recommending it as a movie for anyone who loves a training montage. This has a really good one. It's directed by Jeremiah Zagar, who had a movie called We the Animals a few years ago. And it's this really heartfelt, funny, um, kind of, in some ways, quintessentially Adam Sandler movie, where he's playing this guy who you, he was kind of down on his luck, and he's trying hard. He's an NBA scout who's trying to make his way up to coaching. And he kind of hitches his wagon to this Spanish uh, potential breakout star, Bo Cruz, played by a real NBA star. There's a lot of real NBA stars in the movie, which um, you might know. I didn't know because I didn't recognize them because I don't know anything about the NBA, but that did not stop me from enjoying the movie. Uh, And I loved talking to him so much. You know, Adam Sandler had this huge run with Uncut Gems uh, back in 2019. Uh, At the start of the interview, I told him that I had seen him in person at our Oscar party in February 2020. Little did we know what was going to come after that. And I think it's really interesting not just to talk about Uncut Gems and the acclaim he got for that, but just how you figure out how to spend your days and what to do with your time when you have so much success like he does and have the, the ability to pick and choose your own projects, which not a lot of people do. So I thought he was really thoughtful about that, about getting out on the road to do stand-up and, you know, just figuring out what's next for him after the success of Hustle. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I hope you do, too. Let's hear my conversation with Adam Sandler. How long has it been since you've been on tour? Yeah, we were going to do the tour. Then the pandemic happened and we canceled the tour. We were literally doing shows getting ready and then I just I remember going we I don't think we can do this we, we can't yeah. go out there have people sit with each other and stuff so we canceled the tour and that was how long ago was that a couple of years ago yeah two and a half years ago um I actually I wanted to start by asking because I saw you in person at the last party I went to for a long time at our Oscar party in 2020 uh you were there with the Safties. And I was just, you know, that Uncut Gems process was kind of a whirlwind. And I wondered about the day after that, like when that party was over, when the Uncut Gems tour was over, like, what did you feel ready for? Where was your head at when that all wrapped up and you had to figure out what was next? Boy, I just remember that whole process was fun, getting to know those guys, getting to be with those guys, feel like it kind of felt like the old days, like 
early Saturday Night Live, hanging out with uh, a group, going places together, uh, being believing in a project together, and I uh, just felt like I had great teammates there. And and I just I don't I don't I just remember it being nothing but uh, exciting and 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 fun and um, a great connection. Did did that change what you wanted to do next? Was you know, deciding to do a stand-up tour, partly coming off of Uncut Gems and saying, hey, now that I've done this, I want to go in this direction. I think they, uh, it all always goes like that. It's it's whatever you're feeling in a moment, you enjoy that moment, and then you say, what what can I do to, I mean, it doesn't happen every time, but you, you say, what can I do? What feels right next? What would I think is going to be exciting for me? What might be interesting to the audience? Uh, you try to mix things up and do stuff that uh, makes you wake up and go, oh, man, I got to I gotta go crush this. Yeah. Well, so then a month after that Oscar party, COVID hits, you cancel a stand-up tour. Then what do you decide you want to do? Like, what what is it like in that moment as you figure out how to, you know, keep working at all? That was all, all just making, you know, like everyone else on the planet, just making sure the family was safe and everybody was good and uh, friends and uh, figuring out, what life's going to be like. And uh, then eventually as, as it started to progress, time was moving on and people were getting, finding ways to, to work. I remember um, the movie uh, Hustle. I think that came up, uh, uh, the script, the idea. And then I met Jeremiah Zagar, the director. Uh, we, uh, we met because the uh, Ted Sarandos from uh, Netflix told me I should watch his movie. Yeah. And I this movie, We the Animals, and I loved it. And uh, I called him up to just tell him how much I loved it. And we were discussing stuff, and somehow we ended up talking about this hustle movie. We started Zooming and jamming on, on stuff all over Zoom every day. Yeah. I think you said that Hustle came to you from LeBron James's company. So w- had you been talking to them before? Had you been trying to pursue something with this company before this one came up? Uh, this is all like most of the stuff that I've been involved with, just luck. Luck. I got mm. Joe Roth, who also worked with the movie and the, was partners with LeBron on this movie. Um, they, I, I, they somehow thought of me and they sent it my way. And, uh, and I loved it immediately. I loved the idea of behind the scenes basketball and, and getting to see hard work and, and, uh, and I just a big fan of, of uh, so many players and so and, and and basketball, and it's been such a huge part of my life. So it was exciting. Had a basketball movie been on your mind before it, that came in? You're such a big fan; like it must have been there somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, lo- I love I've always you know I've involved basketball over the years and in, in my comedies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, this was a different uh, approach at it, and. Um, you know, like when I did Uncut Gems and I this was a jeweler, I was starting from scratch because I knew nothing about jewelry. And mm-hmm. I, so I, I had to do a lot of preparation and, and being comfortable and confident and, and knowing what as much as I could know about the, that craft or, or that, that business. And um, basketball, I had a nice head start because I knew a lot, of, a lot of stories, a lot of stuff. I knew a new a lot of players over the years. I knew my my history, not as much as uh, like a, a super fan, but I was I'm pr- pretty in there. 
Yeah. So that that Zoom process with, with Jeremiah and then everyone else, like, how did working on that stuff via Zoom feel for you? I mean, a lot of people hated transitioning to Zoom. Did it work okay for you guys? I mean, the movie turned out. Well, I think it it was exciting to just be working. I do remember yeah. I was in my house in a basement and my two daughters were doing school. And in this part of my house, there were no doors. So it was like I had one daughter maybe 20 feet uh, on the right, another daughter in a different area. Oh, yeah, maybe 20, 30 feet away from me on the left. And I was on Zoom quietly talk, talking to Jeremiah <laughs> a lot. And, and I, my kids were just like, stop talking so loud. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Zoom school was going on while we were working on Hustle. Yeah. I mean, that's like what everyone in the country was doing at the same time. You were really, we were all kind of evened out and sick of Zoom at that point. Well, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was new. I kept thinking, why was Zooming? Why, I, what happened to Skype? How come Skype's that? I used to Skype all the time with Tim Hurley, a guy I write all our uh, comedies with. I always, always would Skype with him and, and we would see each other and that kind of thing. And then the Zoom took over. And anytime I mentioned Skype to people, they'd say like, no, 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 we're going to Zoom. I'd be like, oh, all right, what, I feel bad for Skype right now. <laughs> no, it changed really fast, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you work a lot. Like, you know, looking back over the last couple of years, like you just, you know, you're producing things, you're acting in things. So is that period of not working, were you just like itching to get back on a movie set or get on tour? Did you have that drive to work as soon as possible? I think like most people, it was like a forced break. And so you went, there was no guilt in this break. You had nothing saying like, I should be doing that. You're just like, I should be taking care of my family or making sure everybody's safe. So I didn't have that itch as much as you would think. I remember I did a few things early on. When Saturday Night Live came back on the air, Pete Davidson called me up and said he was doing a... um a song and uh and so we 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 did a uh a verse in my house with my family and um they 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 operated the cameras and stuff and shot a bunch of silly stuff and and uh that that was fun to be working for a second and yeah but, um yeah 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 just yeah, I, I swear it was exactly what everyone on the planet was feeling you just kind of sat back and said let's just do what's 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 best and safest I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. 
With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. You've worked with, you know, your family and friends and people who are, like, not necessarily professional actors a lot before. And I was thinking about that watching Hustle because there's so many basketball players who are, you know, there's people playing themselves like Dr. J, but, like, people like Anthony Edwards, like, giving performances who are not actors. And you're not the director, but I wondered if, like, if your experience bringing people on camera who haven't done it before, if you could, you know, help them out in any way and kind of help bring those performances out. I, um, Jeremiah did did most of that, but I'll tell you... Um... When they were on a basketball court, the players were on a basketball court. They were in that mode. Yes, they're, they're, they're doing what we ask them to. We ask them to miss a shot. We ask them to steal the ball, blah, blah, blah. But when it came to being real and, and dis- discussing life on the court or after a game, it was very, very, they were at ease. They, they would always, something in the script, somebody w- might say, like, I wouldn't say that. We'd say, well, would you say and they would knock out exactly, you know, what they'd feel comfortable saying or what they thought was real. And that was such a mission we had with the movie because who was involved, all these mm-hmm. all superstars, these, uh, and LeBron and every and the NBA was so involved that we just wanted to make sure that people in the NBA watched the movie and say, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much like that. Yeah. I was thinking about Stanley Sugarman and the line of, like, losers that you've played on screen because they, they go back a long way. Like, there's Uncut Gems then going back to The Waterboy. And yeah. you had success pretty early in your career. And I wonder, like, if it's just that playing losers is fun or if there's some kind of, like, you know, sliding doors, like, that could have been me to to those characters that appeals to you. That's a good question. I think I, <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable in that world. I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, it's probably natural to me because I don't... I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I just went on stage last night. When I first walk on the stage, I never go like, all right, mm. here I am. I'm always just like, well, what the hell am I doing here right now? I just have a natural part of my brain that feels like this This. This is, I don't belong here. Why am I setting myself up like this? I'm not, I don't think I should be, uh, you know, asking people to look at me right now. So <laughs> anyways... I guess this this feeling uncomfortable and loser kind of stuff I've been doing for years it's 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 in me. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, do you get done at the end of the day and you're just like, okay, thank God I can go back to you know myself with my family and you know the, the success that you have. You kind of get it out on the on the set. I I like I like being on a movie set. I like when I'm probably the most comfortable on a on a set. Uh, outside of more than on stage stage if it's rolling along and we're doing good I feel great when there's it but there's no in stand stand up you could be killing for 50 minutes and then all of a sudden make a wrong turn and then the last 10 minutes of the show is like whoa what happened there he kind of lost his mind (laughs) that still happens you just you got to concentrate you got to just ride it out feel comfortable and sometimes you 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 veer off, and all of a sudden you the, you lose the audience, and sometimes you luck into getting them back, and then sometimes you walk off stage going, "Wow, that hurt." 
that was a painful moment for everybody. <laughs> is that is that part of what brings you back? Where you're like, okay, well, that didn't go right, but I can do it better next time. Like you, I, you, I, you die. The, the nights you do poorly, you cannot wait to get introduced again somewhere <laughs> else to make make up for it because you're like, I, I can't live with that one. I got I got to Let's end on a on a on a good one. And then when you have a super show part of your brain is like, yeah, why am I doing tomorrow night, man? There's no way the show's going to go as good as that. And it doesn't. There's no way you can't crush it perfectly. It's just some nights where it just your energy is great. The audience energy is great. It just, it just, it just connects. And then you go, let me get, let me try to duplicate that. And then that just never works out for you. It's like gambling, right? You just, you think you can stay on a hot streak. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking about the audience because, you know, you're back on tour. You've got the audience right in front of you, but you've made so many movies for Netflix where you know that people are watching it. You can get feedback, but you don't know how many people like the, you know, no one's seeing it. Some people might see it in the crowd, but it's so different from even when you started making movies. Do you still get to think about your audience or get a sense of what people like? Or do you have to change the way you think about your audience doing that? That's good. That's I, I, I think of the audience. I think I've always think of who's watching it and I always try to. Make sure they, 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 you know, can't guarantee it's uh, working, but uh, every time, but always think of them sit, sitting, watching, discussing afterwards, saying what they liked, what they didn't like, what, what, what stuff lands. If, if we're watching a movie and there's a slow spot, we just try to, we got to get, we got to get past that quicker or we got to find a way to get rid of that or, yeah, or cut it differently or uh, that kind of thing. We're always thinking of the audience and as, I always did throughout the uh, making movies uh, that when people were sitting in the theaters uh, 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 more and there was no, mm -hmm. you, you thought of the rhythm, the the person watching and how to keep them uh, um, focused and laughing or, or, or just involved. But um, I feel like, uh, I feel like I watch my kids watching movies. I watch my wife watch a movie. I see, when they're in the pocket, when they're when they're, when they're deeply enthralled in something, and then I see what it's like when they all of a sudden tune out and say, yeah, "I'm hungry and want to go in the other room." So you try to eliminate those moments. Yeah. Did you get to see? Because I know Hustle played in the theaters. Did you get to see that movie with yeah. the audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We that always felt great. Oh my God! The premiere they had was kind of like the old days. It was at a theater that I had a lot of premieres in the in the nineties. Uh, it was in Westwood. It was mass, massive premiere. It was like a couple of thousand people watching the movie. It, it, a lot of NBA guys were there. A lot of just no, normal people showed up and they were getting to sit in the theater with these superstar dudes around. And it was just a good energy. And the movie kind of played like a Rocky kind of feel of where you got excited in the moments and you were pulling for Bo Cruz. And it was, it was quite an energy. And there was, you could only have that in a movie theater with a group yep. of people. It was, tr it was tremendous. Yeah, any movie with a training montage that good, like you're going to get a crowd yeah. response. That was <laughs> so a long-ass, long-ass training uh, <laughs> montage that my editor guys cut cut together with uh, with uh, Jeremiah, and it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Just <laughs> he worked his ass off, Wancho. He just every day was running, lifting weights, and he was. He was as uh, by the end of some days, he was like, "What are you doing to me, man? Why am I wearing construction <laughs> boots while running all you know <laughs> basketball?" 
Well, even you, like the way the movie's put together, like you're doing the montage of like going to the hotel rooms. Like it's a lot of doing the same thing over and over again. Like that's asking a lot of you too, not running up a hill. What I love a lot about my character, it was was the stuff like the showing up at four in the morning and picking up Wancho to get to to uh, to push him and push him and push him and and it reminded me a lot of my father, whose name was Stanley, also a name named the character after him. He was, I don't think there was one time in my life that he mentioned he was tired. He never, he just would just go whatever time it was. My my pop was up, he was ready. My mom was up with him making breakfast for everybody. And um, it, it just reminded me of what what this family in the movie was. It was just like all in, no talking about, oh, hey, I'm sacrificing too. And I'm. it was just mm-hmm. more like, let's get you to be the best you can be. And yeah. that's what my character was doing for Bo Cruz. And that's what my parents always did for me. I feel like you just gave me the answer to the question, like, why do you work so much all the time? It's like your your parents worked all the time, so you do too. They, they, you know, it's funny. They weren't, my, my father would tell me, you got to enjoy this a little bit more too. Sit back, relax, let other people handle that stuff. Um, when we were, we did 51st dates and my father was sick. He was in the hospital and me and my wife were in the hospital every day with him at uh, Mass General. And I was getting these uh, tapes from the 51st dates uh uh, editing room and showing me cuts and stuff like that. And I would look at it and I'd show my dad. He'd be like, that's good. That was good. He see, see, they can do it without you, man. They can do it without <laughs> I can just enjoy a little bit more instead of thinking you got to be there and this and that. And I was like, yeah, but I, I thought maybe it might be funnier if this happens. And he'd be like, yeah, maybe. Or maybe you could just sit back and relax and let other people have some fun too. And, yeah. and so my father was kind of like pushing me to calm down and calm down, not work so much. And I think I have calmed down a lot. My wife uh, always brings that up that I s- spend a lot more time on the weekends with the, hmm. with the family and stuff. In the year when I first was with my wife, she was just like, this guy's bananas. I'm hanging out with him and recording studios every weekend and making comedy records. And he's, I just, I would do a movie into a album and into whatever I could do to uh, uh, just try to kick ass. And so you still work a lot, but you feel like it's less of like a, like a frantic thing. Like you feel like you can sit still a little bit more. I think uh, I'm, I'm much better at uh, my office is down the street from my house. I, I just go out of nowhere, just go, all right, I'm going to go home. And uh, Joel <laughs> kind of looks at me like, what happened? He's going home. And, then, uh, and I, then I go home and then I'm home and I'm hanging out and I'm doing my stuff with, with my wife and the kids. And then I notice they kind of ignore me for, a, for like 20 minutes straight. And I go, all right, maybe I'll go back to work and kick some ass. <laughs> and then, then I'll get back home for some other stuff. I always just, I think it's interesting when people are in a position in Hollywood to be able to choose what they do because you will know that it's you know not a lot of people get to do that. So, so when something comes to you, if it's script or someone to work with, what kind of makes you say, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like you have limited time. You decide to spend that on it. Do you know what it is that makes you say, yeah, that's that's for me? Yeah, who who's involved with it, if I connect to a subject matter, if I if – feel a little like I'm not sure how I'm, um, how I'm going to go after that. That's probably a good sign that uh, nervous about the, the particular project. It, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a movie with the Safdie brothers 
and was supposed to start in 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 the late late winter, right? And so part of my brain right now is like I'm on tour. Then once that's after Brothers movie starts, and I love I love those guys. I know we're gonna dedicate ourselves into working our asses off and making sure it's as as good as it can be. And I know that takes a lot of time. So part of my brain's going, whoa. Once that once that movie starts, I'm in deep. I'm in deep. Yeah. My life's gonna change, and and it's you know it's, it's like everybody. You when you work hard, you you're tired. You're knocked out. Uh, you, some parts of your life get you, you miss out on some stuff that you wish you could have seen. But uh, ultimately, I know it's gonna be a few months of going after a uh, a, a goal that we we all feel the same about. We want to do the best we can. Is that you so you expect that to be as intense as making uncut gems? Uh yeah, because of how much these guys care and, yeah. and how much I don't want to let them down and uh yeah. and, and I see how hard they work and um just like when I'm working on uh my comedies with my my friends uh it means a lot to us every every joke means a lot the safety boys every every word means a lot to them every frame of the movie means a lot so i don't want to i don't walk through anything i won't walk through anything for them just because out of out of i care about it and i respect those guys so much yeah so you were talking about your your teenage daughters and i was thinking about the nba players who are in this movie who are young guys like to be in the nba you have to be on the other side and i was curious about how much you try to like keep up with what teenagers and younger people are like, what TikTok is doing, what comedy is. Like, I think about this a lot getting into my late 30s. Like, how much do I need to know about this? And I wondered if making a hustle brought this up for you in terms of what these basketball players who are younger than you are talking about or are into. That, that's, that's, I, I love watching those guys, my kids with, with their friends, what they're talking about. I kind of sit back and hear it. I'm not deep in it. I don't really know. I mean, I, I will. To be honest, I even when they Snapchat, I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> I, I'm pretty bad. Like I, Judd Apatow, he knows literally everything with this whole uh, social media shit. I, and I watch him talk about it. I'm like, all right, Judd's he's involved with that shit. He's having a good time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really. I should know more for many reasons, but um, I kind of just enjoy hearing everyone else doing the NBA guys. What they were—they were all just nice people. So we we yeah. got close in in conversations. But sure, they they know different different world, and my kids know a different world than I do. And then when I walk into a room in my house and they're watching TV and they're all laughing, I'll look at the screen and be like, "Who's that?" And they'll say who the person is, and I'll say, "What well, what do they do?" Uh, you know whatever show or makeup show or this or uh, or they're big on YouTube or whatever. I watch a few minutes. I go, oh, yeah, I can see why you like that. I, 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 so, I, so it I translate because I feel like a lot of people get older and they're just like, oh, what the kids think is funny isn't funny anymore. And I think in comedy, it's really tricky to connect with an audience. But it sounds like what is funny now and what has changed you are you are in line with, even if it, you can't keep I, up with. I'm not as uh, on top of it as <laughs> – <laughs> like like I, I keep saying Apatow, he knows everything. He everybody he always says he mentions a show, he mentions a person. I always go, I don't I didn't see that, man. I don't know that. But <laughs> um but uh but my kids clicking, my wife clicking with something at home. Uh, I uh, n- never 
is a time where I watch that. I go, get out of here. That's crap. I always go, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's funny. Oh, I like that you guys love that. My kids love, holy cow, do they love Modern Family and the Goldbergs. It's bananas. Like 10-year-old shows. Like They, those, lo- the- they click so much with those shows. I think it happened over the pandemic, and they still mm-hmm. makes them feel good. They laugh their asses off, and they 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 just like good family shows and comedy and full on comedy. And then, like I said, they like the I, I don't know if it's YouTube or whatever it is. It's like those quick three minute kind of things you look at, and and uh, the yeah. ten minute kind of things. And people who are superstars on the internet, my my kids love that stuff, and they have conversations about them and talk about uh <laughs> whatever who's funny makeup who who sings good who the, all that stuff and i and i i try to i don't really know any names but i do do get involved and say yeah yeah that's she's cool he's cool yeah. they're funny that i get it do you think what you find funny has changed over the years or has your personal sense of humor been pretty consistent i think it's all a little cooler, a little sharper out there. People mm. know a lot more. Um, I'm a little behind on technology kind of jokes and and, and stuff about the the new way of life and talking. And and I'm I I, I don't know the vernacular as good as I uh, as a lot of people do. But no, that's I, for other people. You do you do I, what I, you find I, funny. I do. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I I this this I don't I haven't seen any new comedy. That I go, no way, man. That's that's ridiculous. I I, I like it all. I watched Saturday Night Live the uh, this Saturday. I I, I loved it. I loved a lot of a lot of skits. There's, there's a more and more stuff going on that's pretty ridiculous to watch. And, uh, and uh, I'm I'm a fan of lots of styles. When you look back at like, I mean, not even just your comedy. I was thinking about your acting too. Like when you know, even before Billy Madison. Like, do you recognize? that actor and that person like do you still feel like you're that same person or do do you feel the distance there I feel the I feel the same in a way that I was always pretty excited to be doing Mm -hmm. it I don't look back at any of my old stuff and go whoa you nailed it there man I'm (laughs) I'm usually like wow you were just getting by man you're lucky (laughs) Uh, I, I I I think just getting more and more settled as a human mm-hmm. being. So my acting is probably, uh, you know, changing over the years. And what I, I, I always thought I was doing the right thing in the moment, and I yeah. still do. But I look back at even stuff from five years ago, I go, oh, sh- should have done this, man. That, that was a little weird choice that you made. <laughs> man, man, what the hell happened? But, um, but I, 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 I I just that that's probably the the thing I look back at I uh, maybe I played it too big or maybe I played it I was too trying to show what I was feeling in that moment or I the joke was as you know uh, over the top or whatever the hell it was but then uh, it meant it meant a lot to me and I believed in it then so I still I still back it up so you wouldn't like you went could go back and like cut all your old movies like Francis Ford Coppola like you wouldn't change it. Oh now kind of wow! What it is. Oh yeah, that, that takes a lot of. First of all, probably too lazy to ever think to do that. But <laughs> I, I, there was a process in in every room we were in and at every on every set, every writing room. Me and me and my buddy and my my buddies, we we believed in in what 
we presented. So no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, change anything. I, I mean, stuff that I did that I look back at that could be hurtful. I'd be like, ah, oh, shit. I wish I never said that. But um, that that's that's not 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 changing cuts because. We thought it could be. I, I, th- I think it would be funnier. We, what we at the in that moment we believed in it. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hillary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Maybe one last question for you since we started talking about Uncut Gems. You're about to go work with the Safdies. What do you what do you expect to feel like when that's over? Like when when you're done making that movie, do you know what you're going to do next? Do you know what you're going to want to do? Um. I'm really, I'm not sure what I'm doing for myself, a movie that um, is that I, I create and, and help create with my friends. I don't know what that one is next. Uh, I have a couple of great things coming. Nothing is guaranteed in life, but I've been yeah. talking with Noah Baumbach. He, he has an awesome idea. I've been talking to Scott Cooper, he has an amazing script. I, I was talking to Todd Fields. That's she, a wide range of people to be talking uh, to yeah, all at once. Yeah, all all really really amazing ideas and and stuff. And then you you figure out we'll see what what what's actually going to happen. I hope they all do. Yeah. Well, I, so sorry. Another question. I heard you say on another interview that you've been friends with Todd Field for a long time. Have you seen Tar? I didn't get to see it yet. No, but I'm reading this book right now that that Todd sent me and he gave me and it's a long book. And I think Todd reads a lot quicker than me because I keep saying (laughs) I'm on chapter nine now. He's like, good Lord, hurry up. (laughs) But but no, I hear Tar is amazing. He he he, he's he's tremendous guy. I know that guy for when we were young and uh, he's 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 one of the sweetest guys and funniest guys. And he's just uh He's certainly dedicated to making good stuff. I, I, you yeah. saw Tar? Yeah, I saw Tar. I went to the New York Film Festival premiere. It was wild time. It's so good. Um, That's I mean, cool. That guy spent 16 years between movies and came back with just something unreal. So, yeah. Yeah, he's tremendous. He's tremendous for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, go go see that and report back. I think you're. I think you'll like it. I will. I will. I will. I'm <laughs> sure I will. I, I'm sure I got to see it on a big screen. He's not going to want me to see it on a little computer. So I, <laughs> Yeah, God, when you're friends with filmmakers, they're never going to let you see it at home because they want oh, it to yeah. be... Oh, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, uh, <laughs> well uh, he, he shows me his movies all the time, and I couldn't get over to his house to to see... I think it was... Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. I couldn't get there because I had so much shit going on. I go, can you just send me the, uh, it on pics or a link or something? And he just wrote back, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, I know you care about the big school side. That does it for today's interview episode. We'll all be back on Thursday with our regular roundtable episode. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at HWD. Find me on my own at Katie Rich and find us at VanityFair.com. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs.
I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Thank you.